as long as oh, I saw my mum go through a lot of um, a lot of abuse as well. My granddad was a file and had abused her. There were things going on as a child where I would be going, that's that's not right. My late teens, early twenties, where I copied a lot of my mum's behaviour because it would it would make people feel sorry for me. This is, sounds really, really weird. The message to me from all of the adults around me, apart from one aunt, was to look after my mum. But I was six years old. What did I do? I went off, put the radio on and danced to Stevie Wonder. So, you know, maybe it is the escape. Maybe that's where that all comes from. Welcome to Inspired By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story and they have stories that they haven't yet told. Not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Welcome back to Inspired By. Now, today's guest is someone that I've had the pleasure of working with for quite a few years. She's someone I love to call a really good friend and someone who I've mentored for quite a bit of time. Now, she is a vocal expert. She is an artist development coach and she's had a number one best-selling album. Yes, it's the one and only Carrie Griffiths. Welcome, Carrie. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very excited. It's so good to have you here. I feel like we've been talking about this for ages. Yeah, we ha- it, we have, and we've been we've been talking for many years anyway. So it's just another conversation, isn't it? <laughs> let's just chuck a camera on it and yeah. let's go for it. Now, I find it quite funny because we're here today on Inspired by, and one of my jobs with here it, being on the show is to speak a lot. And actually, I find it a bit intimidating being around a vocal coach trying to speak and project my voice. Everyone says that, but um, there's there's no need. I'm not I'm not analysing all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it comes in, and I'm like, no, just enjoy it, just just enjoy it. But um, yeah, that that happens a lot. But you know, our voices are our voices represent us, um, and they. Yeah, it can be intimidating. But you know, when I'm around other voice coaches then I feel a little bit intimidated as well. So it's just, you know, it's just a step, isn't it? It's just part of yeah. part of the fun. Exactly. Now, one of the fun things I, I love that whenever I'm speaking at events or you're speaking at events and we're together, I always find it quite funny because you're always like, Chloe, have a bit of drink of water. Your voice has gone a bit dry. But the thing I love about you, Carrie, which I'm so glad to have you on the show, is that you are just super, super bubbly, super chatty. Anyone that's seen you at our events or, or at any event, really, you're always bouncing up and down, having a laugh. So you yeah. come across as a very confident, bubbly person. Yeah. Have you always been like that? Um, I've always been confident in my own abilities, but in terms of speaking to other people, I was always very, very shy. I was really quite painfully shy. And yeah, I'm a voice coach now. I've been a singer for 24 years. I've done all the stuff. I've been on international stages. I've performed to thousands and thousands of people, um, you know, up to 30,000 people. I've done thousands of gigs as a singer, but I also did thousands of gigs as a dancer. I started as a dancer. And um, and I, every time I tell this story when I'm talking to anyone, whether it's my students, my clients, you know, anyone, is I, I kind of forget how shy I was until I think about it. But I was really quite painfully shy. And although I loved dancing, I was always a good performer. Anyone who sees me now, actually on stage is where I come alive. I'm not even as bubbly in life as I am on stage. But um, speaking to people was very, very difficult. I always felt like I said the wrong things. Um, People used to call me a show off. Um, um, I was always kind of, I think maybe politically 
politically minded and I used to play devil's advocate a lot but I didn't realize that I was isolating other people and isolating myself and so when I started to realize that people don't really like being that's not a a comfortable conversation I didn't know what else to do so I just stopped talking for a really long time and just let my performing do the work and so to 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 learn how to speak to people I I went to um, college and I did drama I actually did theatre studies at college and one of my very best friends Alicia she was really good at networking she was a great actress and we went to loads of clubs parties gigs and we were kind of inseparable for the whole time we were in college and I just watched her and I just looked at the way that she conversed with people saw that she you know she asked very interesting questions and really was interested in other people and so that's how I started to learn how to talk to people but it took a really long time wow yeah I find that so hard to believe now when I see the way you chat and connect and and you just come across so confident. Now, I want to talk about the difference between performing on stage singing versus performing on stage speaking, because, yeah. you know, I, I find it fascinating for a tiny bit of background. I know, Carrie, you know this, but my my first experience on stage as a kid were actually singing as well. And I had stage fright from a very young age, froze, I think I was about 10 years old, lead of a play, completely froze, forgot my words, stage fright kicks in, and I've never been able to do it since. Love singing, but for me, speaking was so much easier because no one knew what I was supposed to say. Yeah. Like I could get it totally wrong and no one had a clue because I was just like, I'm just going to bring it back on track now and carry on what I'm doing. Whereas fi- I find for singing, for me, it was harder because I had like lines to remember. If you miss the beat, you miss the bit to come in. You're like, oh God, when do I, how do I get back from here? So, but I, I can also see the other side of it that a lot of people like performing because they are essentially, they can be whatever they want. How did that show up for you? That's a really good question because, you know, as I said earlier, and I always say I come alive when I'm on stage. I don't, it's really strange. I don't really feel like life is real life for me. Mm. It's that to me feels like the performance. And for me being on stage is that I'm even getting emotional talking about it. For me being on stage is my reality. I I don't really know how to explain it. And for for people who aren't performers or for people who find it difficult to perform, I can really understand how that might make me feel a little bit um, unreal or a little bit fake. But actually, I I find it very difficult to function in the real world. Being, I think that's probably the first time I've said that out loud. Wow. Yeah. And I, I love that you've shared that so vulnerably because for, for many people, performing is a really fun thing, obviously. Yeah. But... I've heard so many celebrities, so many actresses, so many actors who say that actually performing has helped them cope through difficult things. You know, they've had tough times at home and they almost escape by performing. So is that sort of where where you find it as well is that you can just be whoever you want in these in this in this arena? Yeah, possibly, possibly. And it might stem back to, you know, not not feel, feeling a bit misunderstood in my real life because on stage your job is to make people feel good. That is your job. And if I'm not able to do that in real life, but I'm able to do that on stage, then that's then that's something that I've achieved and, you know, and and help people to have a good night. You know, all I my end goal is just for people to have a good time. And because because that's my end goal. And so, you know, my job is to just help people to feel good. And um, and I don't know, sometimes sometimes I guess it was escaping. But for me, it feel actually just feels more real. 
Wow, yeah. that's so interesting. And you mentioned there the need to want to make people feel good. Yeah. Where did that come from for you? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> it's got a, so maybe trigger warning. Um, probably because of my mum. Uh, my mum and dad split up when I was six and my mum was always depressed. She was always suicidal. And one of my first memories is of my mum being in hospital, having um, tried to take her own life. And when my dad left, the message to me from all of the adults around me, apart from one aunt, was to look after my mum. But I was six years old, you know, how can, and my mum was pregnant as well. My dad left when my mum was pregnant and I was six. Um, and so, you know, there were times I have a very, very vivid memory that I've had to work through a lot in the past few years of my mum being very heavily pregnant on the floor crying. And I'm like, there's nothing I can do. What can I do? What did I do? I went off, put the radio on and danced to Stevie Wonder. So, you know, maybe it is the escape. Maybe that's where that all comes from. Or maybe even the distraction, like you showed that you could light up the room because we can't always control things. And I, I, I really resonate with that story of you being six years old because that's a lot of a burden for a six-year-old to carry whether your mum was pregnant or not, you know, you're not responsible for your parents. And yeah. I, I've personally experienced that as well, The where we almost like swap roles, yeah. where the child becomes the parent and the parent is now the child, especially psychologically, or we feel like we need to look after our parents. And maybe in that time, would you say that you felt like that was your way of cheering her up? Because you couldn't control anything else. You couldn't Probably, control yeah. the, the situation. You can't control her... Yeah, probably. And my mum was a singer as well. Her dad was a singer and the whole family were into music. And it was one of the things that we always did all the time. Even my, you know, my dad was um, a guitarist and he sang a bit as well, but he was a songwriter. But we were all into music. And another a, a nice memory, <laughs> another very early memory I have is a, at my aunt's wedding. And I had one of these, um, it was um, probably 1980 or something like that. And I had one of these dresses where you spin around and it comes up, right? So I was... Um, I think probably the adults hadn't had a drink enough drinks or something yet, but I was the only one dancing. And so every time I did a spin, I got this round of applause and I was like, this is great. So, but I'm, I mean, I'm saying this thinking back, I just wanted to see my dress come up, you know? And then someone gave me 50p and I was like, you can get paid for this as well. <laughs> that's amazing. And I think that's probably where, where, you know, the, the entrepreneurial side of it started as, as a dancer. But I think, yeah, probably making my mum, making my mum happy, but also it was a way that we bonded as a family. So, you know, of an evening, my mum's got five brothers and sisters. She's the eldest of six and all of their friends were coming. It was really, it was a very, very um, lively house. So she had a, her two brothers would come over and they were cockneys and they would make up all these scenes and we'd, you know, we'd, and we'd, pretend to be on EastEnders and that kind of stuff and they bring all their friends over and we'd all do music and they would they would sing and I would dance or sometimes I would join in with the singing and it's just something that's always been there although I I didn't know at that time I thought I thought I was actually going to be a paramedic <laughs> I don't know where that came from wow. um, but yeah I think yeah it's all entertaining is just something that's in our family and I've known you for years and I've never known that. I've never known that. So that's why I love running the show because I find it fascinating, Carrie, that it's almost like, have you ever had it where you're like, 
that was destiny or that was destined for you. It's like you were surrounded by creativity, innovation, you know, that energy, that imagination. And it, it obviously comes through now with what you're doing. So yeah. tell me how you then transitioned from dancer, Carrie, to singer, songwriter, performer. Oh, yeah. Someone <laughs> selling albums. Sounds good when you say it like that. Um, <laughs> is that my life? Yeah, 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 it is. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, how did that happen? Well, I went to boarding school and we didn't have dance classes um, or anything like that, or even drama at boarding school. But what we did have, we lived in little house, little houses of like 50 kids at a time. And we'd have like, they called them house parents and house carers. And um, I always, always danced. Now, any of my school friends who, um, if any of them are watching this, they'll remember that I was always dancing. Us, We had a separate dining hall. This is really, I was a weird child. And I would, <laughs> when people would, <laughs> when we would go to, to tea so tea started at about five o'clock in the evening and it probably went on till about seven by the time everyone in the school was fed and I would spend that whole time on the dining hall steps singing and dancing but I only danced I only sang because I didn't have the music so I wasn't interested in singing I was interested in the dancing so I always danced I would make up dances with my friends I'd be like I'm the one in the middle and you and I would do all the choreography like no you you spin around that way and then you spin around that way and I'm going to do the all that kind of stuff before that at home I would get my toys and I would do I'd be pretend to be Madonna um, Michael Jackson, Paula Abdul, Janet Jackson, all of, all of that, Jermaine Stewart. And I'd get all my toys and I'd line them up and they'd be my audience and I'd make up these shows, right? And I did that the whole of my, the whole of my childhood till I was like 16. And then at 16, I left boarding school, kind of had to become an adult then and moved out to Torquay um, very randomly and lived there for a year, had no friends. It was just me and my mum and my stepdad. And we were building this business that didn't really work. Um, but I had no friends, so I had to start all over again. But I didn't know how to talk to anyone, right? So I just, in those days, you could go out clubbing under 18. So I was only 16. So I would just go out clubbing and dance. And then people would come to me because, oh, you're a good dancer and blah, blah, blah. And then I would make friends that way. Anyway, long story, trying to cut it a bit short. Came back to London, started dance classes, couldn't follow dance classes because I'd already always been the choreographer or a freestyler. So they'd be going that way. I'd be going that way. Their hands up, their right hands up, my left hand would be up. Didn't work. So I couldn't, then I couldn't be a dancer. So I just didn't really know what to do for years. And I'd fell into going to gigs. I'd always loved music as I've, as I've said, and I, and I was into punk and I was into grunge and I was into rock and metal. So I fell into going to gigs and I must've gone to three or four gigs a week for about five years. Um, and then and then I started dating uh, um, a guitarist and he told me that I should sing and I was like, don't, I wanna dance. I, but by then I was like 21, it was, too, it was too late. Anyway, that didn't happen. Got married and my, my husband at the time, he bought me singing lessons for Christmas. No clue whether it was because I was a good singer or a terrible singer, but he, he bought me singing. He doesn't even remember, apparently, bought me singing lessons. And that was it. I was just like, this is what I want to do. And um, Taya came along, my daughter came along, and she was about four months old when the, the relationship had already been abusive, not majorly, but an, enough for me to know that this wasn't right. 
And about six months in, we'd, it was going really, really badly. I was, you know, I wasn't allowed my own money. Um, everything I did was wrong. It was that kind of emotional abuse, really. Um, and I read a book that I've never found again, but it was called Change Your Life in Seven Days. And it said, decide on the one thing that you want to do. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, I just want to sing. And the next week I moved back to London and, and the rest is history. I started building my singing career from there. Now, I just wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to share a quick message with you. Now, I've been hosting these interviews with Inspired by Show for a while now, and I've been loving all of the great feedback from our listeners. And it really means a lot when you all share from listening to these episodes, watching these episodes, share your incredible feedback. And I love that you love it as much as we do. Now, my mission for the Inspired by Show is to inspire others to challenge the norm, share their story, knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and shock horror, take the mask off and be raw and real. So so I have a favor to ask. Can you help me on this mission by sharing this episode with someone who you think needs to hear this message? Maybe there's a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know that would really benefit from hearing this inspiring story. If you could do that to help us help even more people to challenge the norm and push themselves out of their own comfort zone, then I'd really appreciate it. So if you haven't already, share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know would benefit. Now, back to the episode. Wow. Yeah. And, and you talked about Taya there. I know, obviously, you know Taya very well now. She is how old now? Twenty-two now. There you go. Yeah. So this just puts it puts it in perspective of times of time. And yeah. and we're, I'm going to definitely talk about that later on because I want to deep dive into that. But you touched on there the relationship with your ex husband yeah. now, your husband back then, and yeah. his ways in your relationship. And for full context, you talk very openly. You've recently done a few gigs for Women's Refuge and raised money um, to stop abuse and help women who are going through it. So tell me a little bit more about how that played out in your life. Whoa, okay. I'm going to try <laughs> try and keep it a little bit short, but, um, but relevant. Um, I've been in quite a few abusive relationships, abusive in different ways, um, emotional abuse, um, sexual abuse, financial abuse, and I was very lucky to have been in a narcissistic relationship as well. And of all of them, the narcissistic relationship is the worst because it just, it, it just kind of turns you into a different person. Um, so yeah, a few different um, abusive relationships and they all have similar cycles. They, they all start off great. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in, you wouldn't start a relationship with a horrible person. Hopefully, you know, um, they all start off really, really well. That's the love bombing phase, and they they're really clever. They get to know all of this stuff about you. You can tell me anything. We're soulmates, and oh, people look at you and like, oh, you're so in love. It's such an amazing relationship. And so you open up, and they get to know your vulnerabilities, and then once you're in their grip, they start to play on them. But by that time you've invested um, and you're trying to get that person back that you fell in love with. But, you know, for me, I always felt like, and, and maybe again, it stems back to wanting to make people happy. You know, I would all, I always believe in giving people second chances. I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, you maybe should stop at the second and not go to the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, something doesn't seem right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe not five chances. Yeah. <laughs> maybe just maybe just a second chance. Um, I've always believed in giving some someone a second chance. I've always believed that people are doing the best that they can do at that time. Um, and the people don't really mean to be mean. But 
over the past few years, I've started to understand actually some people just like being mean. Um, and so it's been a really, really long journey. I'm 47 now and it's only in the past year and a half really that I've started to really understand how I can move through life without without attracting abusive people. And and it has been a case of understanding that that's what I attract for whatever reason. That was actually something I was going to ask you about because I opened up very openly to you a little while ago about a type of abusive relationship I was involved in. Not physical abuse, thank God. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a romantic relationship. It was a different type of relationship. And I had no idea that it was even the case and it was to do with narcissism. And it was only when I opened up to you to talk about it, you said, Chloe, that's not right. And you really helped me understand it. And one of the things you've always said to me is that unfortunately, when you've been in one situation of abuse, and by the way, for full transparency, this could be physical, emotional, sexual, like you mentioned, we do actually then attract more of it. Yeah. What experience have you had of that? Um, well, it's just, I think probably almost every relationship I've had <laughs> romantically, almost romantically and a few, um, and in work as well and in music for sure. Um, and what I've come to learn through lots of work is that it's because it's what we're familiar with. Our, bra our brains crave familiarity, whether it's good or whether it's good for us or, or very, very unhealthy. And I saw my mum go through a lot of, um, a lot of abuse as well. And it wasn't really physical, but there were things going on as a child where I would be going, that's, that's not right. Why, why are they doing that? You know, and it was mainly, I think probably mainly financial, but then with any, any type of abuse starts with emotional abuse. And, um, there was a time in my life, probably, you know, my late, my late teens, early twenties, where I copied a lot of my mum's behavior because it would, it would make people feel sorry for me. This is, sounds really, really weird and a bit controlling, but it would make people feel sorry for me. And then they would become my friends. So toxic, so unhealthy. Um, I've never really spoken about this before, but yeah, very, very unhealthy, but it took, it took for me to start believing in myself as a singer to realize who I was and what I can bring to the world. And, um, and I think also being coming across as very confident, very out there, knowing what I want. I think that attracts people who want a bit of a challenge. You know, I'd, I'd always attract guys who say, Oh, you're such a strong woman. I love it. And then, you know, two years later, I'm a shell of a person, you know? So it's, very very complex I find it fascinating though that you had the urge to understand it because that's something that we've both bonded on and related to is that whenever we've experienced bad things we've gone well what can I learn from that and put the mirror up and go well how did I attract that and that's a difficult that's a very hard thing to look at yeah you know? especially like you say because then you look back and you go that's 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 quite dysfunctional it's quite toxic but we didn't know any different yeah and and sometimes it's hard for that we will talk a little bit more about that now You've also talked to me before about this whole generational piece yeah. and that sometimes we are attract these things and it's not actually our fault. So how did that play out for you and how did you find that out? Um, goodness me. I think it was just always at the back of my mind um, because my mum, because of what had happened to my mum, she was very, very open about um, not letting people touch your body, not... Um, but she didn't really talk about the other stuff. 
and maybe she didn't understand, maybe she didn't know herself. But it was always in the back of my mind that, um, trigger warning again, my granddad was a paedophile and had abused her and possibly other siblings we don't actually really know. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure if that became part of my identity of, you know, that's what I come from because everyone wants to talk about it. It's disgusting, this is disgusting. It's disgusting, oh, the, the pedo this, pedo that. And say it as it, it just comes out of people, pedo, pedo, pedo. But then when you say, actually, that's part of my family history, people don't want to know. You shouldn't say that. And I'm like, you've just been talking about pedos for the past half an hour. Why, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I talk about it? Why? What is it? It's because it's so close and it's such a, it's such a, a, a foreign thing, a, 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 just such a, a, a vile thing that most people in the world are never going to do, but a lot of people experience. And it's even though we've had Jimmy Savile, Rolf Harris, all of that U tree business, people still don't really talk about it. I think I've kind of gone off on a tangent, but I think... The, um, yeah, coming back to generational, I, I think that's, I don't want to say it's ingrained. A lot of people say, you know, it's ingrained. Well, that means we're never going to stop the cycle. Um, and that's a very dangerous thing. So how ingrained is it? I think it just became part of my identity. But now I want to talk about it because it doesn't have to be. And it doesn't have to be anyone else's. You know, people say they were abused and they're never going to get over it. You know, I've I've been sexually abused. I've gotten over it. It's there, it was difficult, it was horrible, but it's not gonna mar the rest of my life. I'm not gonna let that person ruin the rest of my life. How dare they? No. Wow. It's so inspiring when you talk about it. Honestly, I get shivers every time because I just think this is what needs to be talked about. And I know you did say, yeah, you went off on a tangent, but that's a beautiful tangent to get to because for me, I, I see people all the time. And I'm, you know, I'm so fortunate to speak to people like self and loads of other incredible, inspiring people. And everyone's got this story and it's almost like, it's like a, almost a shame that comes with it. Yeah. It's like, I can't, the bigger my brand, I can't talk about that sort of stuff. I can't talk about that. Or worse, my dad did that, my granddad did that, and that then defines me. And that's yeah. not true because we can break the cycle. We can actually say, do you know what? That is what they did and I'm going to draw a line under it. Yeah. I think the challenge for a lot of people, Carrie, is how to notice it. Because for some people, like for example, for me, when I was... So connected with a few different narcissistic people, I had no idea. Yeah. And I find that there's one piece of awareness and then there's doing something about it. For you, you've obviously experienced it a few times. In the most recent time, clearly that was what broke the, the, the pattern. Yeah. What happened for you to then say, do you know what, excuse my language, but fuck it, I'm not putting up with this anymore. What was that breaking point for you? I was just tired, tired of talking about it tired of having shit relationships, tired of telling myself off for doing it again. Um, then I saw it creeping into Taya's life and I was like, fuck this, this is not happening. <laughs> so um, not, not badly, you know, not badly. There was just a few things that were happening for her and I was like, no, 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 this is, this, we've got to break this cycle. And it was really tough. I did a lot of work. Um, but what was the main thing? I fell in love with my best friend and um, it turned out to not work out very well because we both had issues, some that he wasn't facing, some that I wasn't facing. Uh, and I just said, enough, I'm, I'm nearly 50. Like, how long is this gonna go on for? You know, I don't, I just don't want it anymore. I'm just tired. Wow. And I can feel that. And I, 
I can see how a lot of other people might be listening to this or be in the same situation, be like, do you know what, how, what? I'm I'm tired of this and I need help. Yeah. And for you, you you know, you've done an incredible job of raising money for Women's Refuge and yeah. they were a huge part of your journey. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Women's Refuge and why you're so passionate to help them now. Well, years ago, um, I, I went to a refuge um, and I lived there for six months um, because, and actually, I'd actually split from from the the abuser in that situation but he kept following me around <laughs> and um I was <laughs> I was watching a, a morning program and they were talking about it and I was like oh my god they're talking about my entire life and uh and I went and I called them that morning I said to, to my my boss I've this is you know this is happening and the, my boss knew because this guy kept coming to my workplaces they kept moving me and he kept coming and I said look this is what's happening you see it here he is you know he'd probably come later on today I said I've got to get away so um and I was staying at my mum's and he would um anyway all this stuff was going on and I just called them and, and um and I just said I need help and th the next day they came and met me and uh and I lived there for six months and that was when I say tough it was easier living in in an abusive relationship than it was living in a refuge and that's not because refuge is doing anything bad. It's because you, you've finally faced up to what's happening. There are all these other women, children living in, I can't talk about it. You're not allowed to talk about it too much. And actually it's people's lives as well. But, you know, it's not an easy, they're not, they're not luxury houses. Let's put it that way. Um, they do their best, but you're, you're just every day faced with, this is what I need to, deal with now this is what I need to sort out um and they helped me in a massive way um it's just a it was a space to clear my head I still went to work um I was getting some counseling um and it was just a space to clear my head and just figure out what do I want and what am I going to do next and what did I do next got into another bloody abusive relationship <laughs> but it was a different type of abuse I didn't know. I didn't know. So you do all of this stuff and like, it's such a, it's so ingrained, was so ingrained for me by that point is that I was like, well, he's not hitting me, but that's not the point. It's, um, but why, you know, why refuge? Well, they helped me and it's, I've always believed in giving back. My, my singing teacher, Mary, she, I was to have, um, I'd left, I was still having singing lessons with Mary at this point and uh, she knew a little bit about what was going on and there were times when I, I wasn't I wasn't even able to pay for my singing lessons which was like the the most the most important thing in my life at that point um, because I was paying rent at the refuge and rent somewhere else so I didn't have the money and she said to me you know Carrie when I was learning to sing and when I was starting my career someone helped me and I've always believed in paying it forward and so I'm going to help you as long as Oh. as long as when your turn comes around you do the same thing and so one of the things that I think about every time I pay it forward in whatever way it is even buying a coffee for um, a homeless person it's this is what Mary did for me so it's my my turn oh that's so beautiful yeah isn't it amazing when we just come across people that are just so giving yeah and you're going to get me going now, but 
when you've had such a shit show, to be honest, yeah. like you've had such a shit yep. deck yep. constantly <laughs> and you're like, come on, when is the good stuff going to come? Yeah. And you, you know, people think the good stuff comes in a big paycheck or a great job or a great client or a windfall and actually it can be the smallest act of kindness. Yeah. yeah. That. Yeah makes the difference yeah and- but it's also about taking ownership for the shit that's happened because mm-hmm. we make choices when you get to a certain age when I got to 30 I was like I can't blame I can't blame my mum's situation anymore I can't blame my granddad I can't blame my dad I can't blame I can't blame anyone else it's time for me to take responsibility and it's taken until now so this is like 17 years in now mm-hmm. you know um but yeah it is as you say it's it's the small things because we can all we can all do big gestures it, that, that's really easy but it's the thought the, the thoughtful things yeah. that make the difference yeah and one of the things i love carrie with what you've done is you've got this immense story like i love that you're giving us the opportunity to hear it and i'm really grateful for you opening up because i think there are so many people that need to hear this that's why yeah. this platform exists yeah. but i've heard you talk about it on stage, you've run concerts where you combine your singing with this story and you share so openly about things that have happened. And you shared recently a, a gig that you did for Refuge where I was there and I was like, yes, Carrie, it was just the most beautiful thing. And you shared openly for the first time, one of the big things that happened with your granddad and, yeah. and, your, and your grandmother. If you're open to sharing here, I think Absolutely. some people need to hear the, the stories, but also the the way you've like we said broken that that chain or yeah. that impact yeah so um as I said earlier my my granddad was a pedophile um certainly abused my mum possibly other siblings we don't know who else N- no idea um and he c- had come from Trinidad and had had another family there so possibly possibly that was the history I don't know I, I'm it's all speculation um but he was um he was a singer he was a he was a great entertainer he traveled all around the UK and other countries and you know was was a loved guy and uh when when he died he had got there's so many trigger warnings to this story (laughs) but when he died he'd actually committed suicide I don't think I shared that um in in the most recent gig but he'd committed suicide and the police had come around to tell my grandmother that they'd found his body he jumped off a bridge actually close to this studio and um and they'd found his body and it was the middle of the night and my mum was 13 at the time and she got up to let the police in because my grandmother my my nan didn't didn't get out of bed and uh what they discovered was that before he'd committed suicide he'd actually murdered my nan and um my mum found her and with with the police um and yeah she'd been murdered um now there's there's an un- another part to this story um one of my aunts could have also been murdered but she fortunately lived in another house at the time she lived with her grandmother so my great grandmother um and uh, had been invited to come and spend the night and she didn't um so she's now still alive, thankfully. Um, so it could have been a double murder, but this, you know, it's 
it's really difficult to share, even though this is like the third or fourth time that I've shared it in my entire life, right, it, publicly. Um, but, you know, domestic abuse, domestic violence is the biggest killer of women in the UK. Not heart disease, not cancer, domestic violence. And it's not talked about nearly enough. And every time there's going to be someone in the comments saying it happens to men too. We know, we know. We're not, we're not negating the fact that it happens to all genders. The fact is, whether you want to believe it or not, male on female abuse is the biggest killer of women in the UK, possibly many, many other places. And it's got to be addressed. It's got to be addressed. Who knows if my if my nan knew that was going to happen to her? My aunt thinks that she kind of had an idea that it was going to happen to her. But who knows if my nan thought that? Who know? I don't know. You know, and how many other women? How many women that we've met? How many women that you know are going through it? You know, and I've I've got friends who know my history, and they say, "Well, you know, it's their own fault. They go back." But you don't, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know what's going on for that person. It's such a complex. It's like drug addiction. It's such a complex situation, um, but it's got to be addressed now, and th that's that's the reason that I'm so passionate about refuge. They helped me. And they weren't around when my nan was murdered. You know, they started in the 70s. They weren't around, you know, and it started with one person opening her house to one woman. And now it's a huge charity. So oh, I've got goosebumps there where you shared that. And I, I, I've said to you before, and I'll say it publicly here, I'm so up for helping in whatever way I can with you because you. I am very lucky that it's never happened to me. But every time I hear stories like this, like I'm sure we've talked about this before, but I just, my blood boils because I get so furious hearing that people are in these situations because yeah. they don't know a way out. Yeah, exactly. Know? They feel trapped. And and I know you've got personal experience that, but you've seen it in your family as well. And for me, I think it's important that people who are listening, watching or, or passing this on to people is you're never trapped. You know, I know you feel like that and you might be trapped by choice like we spoke about. You might not know another way out. It, but there's always another option. We just don't often see it. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone that's maybe listening or watching that's maybe had this experience and feeling like that right now? Tell someone. Tell someone. Um, it's really difficult to talk about. It's really difficult to admit. You're gonna, you're going to feel ashamed. You're going to feel guilty. There are people who are going to judge you, but it's okay. You know, tell somebody. Because even if at the time that you tell them you don't feel particularly supported, at some point you will. It took for it took for me to watch a TV show, and my best friend for years had been telling me to get out, stop dating these guys, stop doing this. It's not that's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. It's about having. It's about feeling heard, having knowing that you've got somewhere to turn to, and knowing that they're that eventually is somewhere that's safe. So just tell somebody. You mentioned they're your best friends. Yeah. Telling you. And the reason I want to mention this and ask this question is because I think it's also very hard for people who are surrounded, who are love, let's say uh, you're my best friend yeah. and I love you so much. I'm like, Carrie, what are you doing? It's so hard to be the onlooker and not, and saying things like that, yeah. but not knowing what you can say, what to do. What would you say to someone who's a friend of, someone who's in that situation listen 
it's very easy to judge. It's very easy to give advice, but just listen. And sometimes they just need to let off steam and have a hug. They don't necessarily need to leave the relationship at that point. Just listen and, you know, ask them, you know, ask them, how can I help if you want to help? Because that's it. It's also quite a big thing to take on. You know, if you want to help, don't. There, there, there have been so many people in the past who said, I'm here whenever you need me. And then I'm like, I need you to help me get my stuff out of the flat. They're like, sorry, I can't. Like, oh, I, well, you're not here then, are you? Yeah. So, you know, but but be realistic about what you can do, even if it's just going for a cup of tea, you know. Yeah, we have this this thing, myself and Cedric, my partners, you know, uh, where it's like, do you want my brain? Or do you want my shoulder? And and the phrase I always ask him, we, he asks me as well. It's like, I come to talk and he's like, do you want an answer, a solution? Or do you want a cuddle? Because not all, we don't always want the same thing, right? You yeah. can come and be like, and then that person goes and gives you solutions. I'm like, I don't want solutions right now. I just want to be just functionally annoyed. Like, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. just where I'm at yeah, right exactly. now. Like, I just yeah. want to rant it out. Yeah. And other times we are like in tears and going, I just need help, like help me. And it's, I do think it's important to ask permission before just giving advice yeah. because you don't know whether that person's ready yet. Now, the final thing I want to talk about is because I'm so grateful you've opened up and I think it's so interesting what you're sharing. Where do you think forgiveness plays a part in this? So huge, 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 mm. especially forgiving yourself. That's the thing. That's the thing that was the most difficult. I've forgiven everyone who's abused me, everyone. It took a really, really, really long time. You know, it took me 10 years to get over one relationship, seven years to get over another. Um, I, 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 I didn't even meet my granddad. He died in 1969. I was born in 1976. Um, I forgave him probably about five years ago. Um, but forgiving myself, literally just done it last year with a lot of work, a lot of work. And I mean, when I say break down tears, tears I've never even imagined because you you finally start to really love yourself and I, I don't I really don't want to say this in a mean way I mean it with all the love in the world most people don't love themselves mm. most people are just doing what what it takes to get through mm. and um that's a and I understand that's a very big thing for me to say but the reason I know that is because the conversations that I have with people and what I see people doing yeah I totally agree I couldn't agree more and I actually would say it's so much easier to love somebody else than it is to love yourself so much easier so much easier you don't it's it's because it's easy to give advice, it's easy to give support. But when it's you and you, sometimes you just don't even know what you need. There's been times where I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need. Uh, so for me, it's easier just go and sing, right? And it <laughs> solves everything. But, you know, then you stop singing and it comes back to real life. But yeah, really, really taking on that time to know that it's going to be difficult. Keep working through it, you know. And there are going to be times when you're like, I I just want to go and drink all the whiskey in the world or, you know, whatever is your thing, go shopping, work too much, um, go on holiday and forget everything, whatever your thing is. But you've, if you really, really want to get through and you want to stop your cycle, first of all, you can't stop any other cycle before you stop your own, stop your cycle and, and really undo those unhealthy patterns and start new ones. You've just got to go through it and, and understand that loving yourself is the most difficult, 
but the most liberating thing you can ever do. I find it so fascinating, Carrie, because you've talked so much about the raw and real shit, which is why this show exists. And I'm so grateful you're talking about it, as I mentioned. And I love that you're now on the other side. So for anyone who is watching and is still in the raw and real, what's it like on the other side? Oh, God. Um, it's like it's like dancing. It's like doing somersaults and um, what are they called now? Cartwheels? Cartwheels. It's like doing <laughs> cartwheels inside all the time. Yeah. And how is that showing up now for you? Obviously, you're back in your singing world. Yeah. Which for anyone listening, there was a bit of a pause there, which you went through your own personal journey. Yeah. What's it like now with your singing? How is that playing out? Tell us more. Oh God, it's so exciting. So back on stage, um, I when I, when I gave up singing in uh, performing, I didn't give up singing, when I gave up performing in 2017, I was like, that's it, that's me. I'm just gonna help other people. I've done everything I wanna do, blah, 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 blah. Um, but no, no, that's where I belong. On stage is where I belong. Back on stage, mate, man, and uh, writing again. I stopped writing. I stopped writing in about 2014. So it's been a really, really, really long time. Um, and it's, it's been a, a long time, but it's just getting those creative juices flowing and, you know, knowing that you're going to make some mistakes and that's why it's part of the process. Yeah. Oh, question, totally random. I've done this with quite a few different guests. I love it. What's your favorite song to sing? Oh God, it depends on the day. Uh, my favorite song to sing, it's, it's going to be, um, it's got probably Overjoyed by Stevie Wonder. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Now, I didn't give any warning and I don't think you've done a warm-up of your voice. Oh, no, I haven't. I don't mm -hmm. suppose there's any chance we can get a line of any song that you would love to sing. Yeah, okay. Let's do, as, I, as I've mentioned it, um, let's do Don't You Worry About, Don't You Worry About a Thing. It's all going to be okay. Uh, don't you worry about a thing. No. Don't you worry about a thing, baby. Cause I'll be standing on the side when you check it out. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Kat. I just, and I kid you not, we did not talk about that before. No. She's like, Chloe, you didn't give me any notice at all. <laughs> I had three beers last night. <laughs> and we love it anyway. Yeah. Carrie, it, it's, I, I find it fascinating talking to you about this. Now, obviously you have been on stages, like you said, like today we've been inspired by you with your stages. You've spoken in front of thousands of people loads different countries you've toured everywhere and I know you're going to be planning on your next tour very very God, soon yeah, yeah. <laughs> who would you say has inspired you the most on the journey is there anyone that you've met or you've come across a celebrity or you've heard of a singer maybe that's been inspiring to you on your journey well it's not a singer it's actually you <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that that you just caught me off guard because I normally ask why but that's really weird but in in what what way I guess is my question because yeah. I'm a little bit talk, caught yeah. back by that. Um, in what way? It's your support, your tenacity, um, your let's just do it. You know all of that. All of that stuff that I've done is like that you've done in so many different ways than I have. But very very you know mm -hmm. and really it comes it boils down to the same thing. It's just just get out there and do it. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Carrie. And it's it's amazing because. You, it's funny because you've always said that I've been part of your journey, but also seeing you grow has been part of my journey mm. because it's just like, wow, every time I mentored you, it helped me believe in myself. And every time I mentored you, it helped you believe in you. So it's just been that constant give and take. It's just been incredible. And for, for me, Carrie, I've loved seeing you flourish and go on the journey and 
for everyone going on a journey, it's never just fucking sunshine and roses. Oh, it's like, <laughs> we think we take a step forward and then suddenly it's like, oh, actually that's a crack in the road and I need to go down a deep, dark hole to come back out for whatever that looks like, right? Yeah. Now, question for you, Carrie. We have a tradition on the show where we talk more about inspiring stories. Now, obviously today you've shared your inspiring story, which has been amazing. And I'm so excited with what's coming up next. Now, my question for you is, who do you know that you believe has an inspiring story that we should hear next? Um, my friend Gary Bushell. Oh, yeah. and tell us about Gary. So Gary is, um, uh, what does he do now? He's a, t- a TV journalist, um, music journalist, writes, he must write about four or five books a year. He's amazing. And he writes, he writes books about his experiences with the music industry. And uh, he was there right, you know, as you know, I love punk. I've been a punk since the age of seven. And he was there right in the beginning, writing about punk bands. And he actually termed the, the, the term oi, which is a subculture of punk. Um, and so, yeah, he 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 invented the word oi. He named oi what it is. Oi is a, a type of music that I absolutely love. And he uh, he's a guy that likes to push people's buttons, shall we say. But um, he's got um, he's got a great story and he's got lots of really, really interesting stories about things he's done in his life. Oh, well, yeah. I'd love to hear. More. And he's a massive supporter of women as well. Oh, yes. More of yeah. that then. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. And again, I've said it a few times, but thank you for sharing so vulnerably here. I think you, you are, you're an inspiration to so many people thank going, th- whether it's you're born into a situation that you had no control over or your personal situation that you've gone through, forgiving people and then also coming out the other end is just amazing. And I'm so excited to see what's coming next. Yeah. Thank you oh, so much. It's been, really- it's been great to have you here. Thank you so much, Carrie. Well, I hope you guys have all enjoyed that as much as I have. What an inspiring story. And obviously, if you are interested in following Carrie's journey, maybe her new best-selling album that I'm sure will be doing very, very well, or her next tour, do make sure you follow her. We will be putting her information in the notes below. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure you are sharing in the comments what has been the most inspiring thing that you have heard on this episode. And if you are watching or listening on any of the other platforms, if you haven't already, what are you doing? Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss our next inspiring guest. That's all for now. Hope to see you soon. See you next week with our next guest.